Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes these words, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of God for the people of God. Susan was the head nurse and Sharon was the aide that worked with her so closely. It had been an unusually busy day on the sixth floor of the hospital where they worked. Just one patient after another coming. It seemed like just about time they thought they would have a break. Another patient was coming and they had to get them a room and get them settled. It was close to the end of their shift and they were exhausted. They had yet to have a break. Susan, the head nurse, looks at Sharon and says, let's take a quick break. Let's run downstairs to the cafeteria for a moment. So they jump on the elevator and go to the cafeteria. It's bustling, but they find a table over in the corner where they can sit and have a quiet moment. They both just kind of slump down in their chairs. But then Susan notices in Sharon's eyes something that seems perhaps to be a deeper weariness being reflected from within. After a moment, she asks, is there anything wrong? Sharon contemplates it for a moment and then says, I'm not going to be able to keep working here. I've got to find a higher paying job. We're just barely getting by the way it is. We wouldn't even be surviving if it wasn't for my parents taking care of my children every time I was at work. Susan said, what about your husband? She said, well, we can't really count on him. He can't seem to keep a job. You know, he's got problems. Susan had seen what she thought perhaps were bruises under her sleeves from time to time when Sharon came to work. She didn't mention them then, but she had an idea what she was referring to. She said, what if you went back to school and studied to become a nurse? You know, you could still work here. You're so good with patients, but your pay would go way up. She said, it's too late for me, Susan. I'm too old for school. How old are you? She hemmed and hawed a little bit, and then she said, let's just say 30-something. She said, okay, let me tell you a story. I want you to think about going to school. It's never too late to follow through on your dreams. Susan said, I don't share this story with very many people. But I was only 13 years old when I got married. I was only in the eighth grade. Sharon gasped. She said, I know. 
My husband was 22, and I thought he was a terrific fellow. I had no idea that he had this violent and abusive side to him. We were married six years. I had three sons with him. But the abuse just got worse and worse and worse until one night he beat me so badly that all of my front teeth were gone. That's the night I took my three boys and left for good. But then we got to the time for the divorce settlement and we went before the judge. And I couldn't believe it, but he awarded the boys to my husband. He said I was only a teenager and he didn't believe that I would be able to provide for them. And my husband took the boys. And then it got only worse because once he had full custody, he moved out of state. Susan looked down. Sharon could see that the pain was still right there at the surface. Even after decades when she spoke of it. The pain was still right there. Finally, Susan looked up, took a deep breath and said, but finally I met another man and he was wonderful and we got married and we have a daughter. I poured myself into her. She was great. We had a terrific family. But finally she was old enough. She graduated from high school and went to college. All of a sudden I felt lost again. I had poured all of myself into her and now she didn't need me in the same ways anymore. She said, I struggled until my mother got sick and had to have surgery and I was taking care of her and I was with her at the hospital and then she came into recovery and I was right there. And the nurses were coming and going and taking such great care of her. Susan said, I thought to myself, I could do that. I would like to do that. Of course, the problem was I still only had an eighth grade education it seemed like such a huge mountain to climb to become a registered nurse but she said finally i just had to focus and think what's the first step i had to begin to study and sit for my ged i had to have that high school diploma so that i could go on susan paused and looked directly into sharon's eyes and said i received my diploma when I was 46 years old. And tears began to run down Sharon's face. Finally, someone who understood and was offering her hope in the midst of her dark life. Be kind. An ancient philosopher said, Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Oh, we have not all been physically abused, but we all carry unresolved pain within us from times where we felt emotionally beat up or battered or betrayed. We carry worries and wounds within us that we seldom, if ever, share, and so we bear them alone. In such times as these, what brings hope into one's life? Where does a person find that kind of hope in the midst of darkness? The head nurse Susan could have seen the weariness in her friend's eyes 
and bought her a card or a present, that would have been all right. But even better, she offered herself, her presence, being with her in that moment. Surely presence beats presence when we're fighting the darkness of our lives. I've told you that I'm going through a two-year Upper Room Academy for Spiritual Formation. But I went to my first week-long spiritual academy over a decade ago. It was back in 2003. At these week-long experiences, there are wonderful times of spiritual growth. There's reading, there's study, there's lectures, there's worship, there's times of extended silence. Some of the times, the leaders offer a guided meditation where they'll take a biblical story and then have you place yourself in that story, either as one of the characters or as yourself alongside the characters, and then use your imagination and open your heart and mind to see if God might not speak to you in a special way through that story. Well, at that first academy, one of the leaders put us in that kind of situation. We all went back to our rooms for a time of extended silence to continue this guided meditation. In my imagination during that time, I met Jesus face to face. And I said, I'm tired. Which I went to the retreat knowing I was tired. But then I was surprised because then I heard myself saying, and I am lonely. Lonely in ministry. That surprised me. I began to think about what had happened. I'd spent the first 20 years of my ministry basically working with youth. And a few years before that retreat, I'd been moved to become a senior pastor. It was a different experience being in the senior pastor's chair over against the youth directors. And I realized I was lonely. That can be a lonely place to be sometimes. But I'm not telling you the story so that you feel sorry for me or feel pity for me. I want to, you to hear what I heard Jesus say to me in my mind that day. I said, I'm tired and I'm lonely. And Jesus says, I am here. I will be your companion. And all of a sudden, coming flooding back into my mind was that passage from Matthew 11. Where Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I thought, oh my, Jesus is here with me. He is walking beside me. He will be my companion in ministry. And if I will stay close to him like two oxen yoked together, he will help me navigate. For as he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That brings us to these Thessalonian Christians that Paul is writing to. They're in a time of persecutions. Paul and these Christians suffering the darkness of their souls, if you will, during a time where Christians are being persecuted. But then Paul writes that he has received a report 
that these fledgling Christians, these first Christians that he's gathered together are growing in faith and love. And that's where we pick up today in verse 9. Paul writes, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Knowing another was growing in faith was restoring Paul's faith and inspiring him. He says, oh my, I'm praying for you night and day. And then in verse 11, he actually moves into prayer. Did you hear that? Listen again, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all just as we abound in love for you and may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints can you hear the emphasis on experiencing the presence of God Paul has experienced that. He's praying that these other Christians that are just starting out on their faith journey will recognize and experience the active presence of God alive in their lives. I heard it in three specific ways just in those three verses. First, Paul prays that God himself and the Lord Jesus may direct him so that he finds his way back to these first Christians of whom he's so fond he wants to be with them again, but he's counting on God to lead and direct him. He's out on a missionary journey. He's not sure where he might go next, but he's praying that God's presence would lead him and guide him so that he might have that reunion. Secondly, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Again, he's praying that God's active presence will be there this time in their lives, growing them so that they might abound or overflow in love for one another, but for everyone, for all people. Again, he's counting on God's active presence to be with those Christians. Then finally, he prays that God may strengthen their hearts in holiness. He's expecting God to be there with them. At one time in Paul's life, he wasn't expecting God's active presence. But we've talked about it the last few weeks. He has a dramatic encounter with the risen Christ and it changes Paul's life. And he begins to know that God is active and alive in the world through Christ and is there leading and guiding him. This is not any kind of self-help program that Paul's promoting. He's begging them, encouraging them to open their hearts and minds to receive God's help so that God can grow them, that they might experience God's Spirit so filling them that they abound in love and faith and joy and thanksgiving. What are you expecting from your relationship with God? Here we are on this first Sunday of Advent. The watchwords of Advent are things like hark, behold, listen. It's a season for us to attend to God, to look and expect that God is at work in our lives, meeting our needs, coming to us even if we're in a place of darkness. I pray 
you will allow God to move into your darkness and come to expect healing, love, and hope to grow within you. If you're able to do that during this season of Advent, it will be a deep and meaningful season indeed. Amen. And thanks be to God.